Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. Before we jump in, I'm always keen to hear about what our listeners think about the show. My inbox is open to you on jacob at journalism.co.uk. Right, let's get into it. This is the first of four special episodes in a mini-series which talks about innovation in local news. Increasingly, we're hearing that the US is a great source of inspiration for UK newsrooms when it comes to news gathering processes, revenue models, audience engagement strategies, and so on. In each episode, I will talk to US local newsrooms about something smart or experimental that they are doing in an effort to transfer their lessons and learnings across to newsrooms anywhere. I start this series with Richmond Source, an independent hyperlocal newsroom based in Mansfield, Ohio. Now, I spoke to the team way back in 2019 about what they were calling their Talk the Vote initiative, which was an exercise in listening to the concerns of local voters and directly putting those concerns in front of politicians running for local elections in the form of a citizen's agenda. Today, we're very much checking back in with that initiative as it gears up for a second iteration for their elections this November. Joining me is Carl Hunnell, city editor of Richland Source and a staple figure in the Talk the Vote sessions. He reflects on the changes they're making this time around and tells you what you need to know if you want to try it out for yourself. All that's coming up after this. Our digital journalism conference, News Rewired, is back and it's taking place from the 19th of October 2021. Don't miss out on four days of expert panels and workshops, which will focus on growing your audience and creating revenue for your newsroom. Take advantage of our early bird offer by booking your place before the 5th of September and save yourself £30. For the full agenda and tickets, visit newsrewired.com. Carl, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Great to have you on. Great to be here, Jacob. Good to see you, sir. Thanks for making the time. Can you give our listeners um, a snapshot of your working situation at the moment? Uh, we are at Richland Source, which is a digital uh, media company in Mansfield, Ohio, a town of about 46, 46 to 48,000 people, depending upon uh, who you ask and what the latest census numbers are. Uh, we are the county seat of Richland County, Ohio. We are located halfway uh, between Columbus, Ohio, and Cleveland, Ohio. We're just about right in the middle. So you can get to either one of those metro areas uh, in, in just about an hour. Great. So um, back in the office or working from home? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'll be honest with you, Jacob, uh, I haven't stopped coming to the office. Uh, we are blessed that we are in a very large space, a uh, place called IdeaWorks. And it is a uh, co-sharing space. There are other companies and off, uh, businesses that have people here. And uh, for months and months, it was usually just me and the managing editor coming in every day. A lot of our staff worked from home, uh, worked remotely. But yeah, I've, I've not stopped coming to the office uh, since, since this all began. It's always great to see people in the office and, uh, well, what is normally returning to work, but it seems like this is a status quo really for you then, I guess. Yeah, I mean, journalism, I think, is done best uh, in an office that has people. Mm. You bounce ideas off each other. Uh, everybody has knowledge that they can share about a particular story. Uh, we can critique each other. We can compliment each other. And, yeah, we, we did have daily kind of Zoom staff meetings. Uh, where every, all the reporters uh, and, and editors got involved. But from my standpoint, uh, I learned more uh, in my first week in a newspaper newsroom 
than I did in four years in college. Yeah. You touched on how Mansfield has a population of 46, 47,000 people. That's not a high number. Mm -hmm. uh, I, have, I have to ask, what kind of uh, coverage, thinking politically here, really matters to an audience size of that, of that number? Well, the nice thing uh, about what we do is we are uh, hyper-local. You know, we're not, if you're coming to our website, you're not coming to us for news out of Washington, D.C., uh, sometimes maybe out of Columbus, which is the state capital. But when you come to us for political information, you're looking for city council races, county commissioner races, uh, township trustee races, school board races, very intensely local uh, information. Nuts and bolts of democracy, I might call that. Exactly. And uh, to me, as someone who's done this for a couple of years now, uh, it's, it's the most important information. Richland Source is a small team with a big mission. Just to back up slightly, a local businessman by the name of Carl Ferniak founded Richland Source in 2013 to tell the entire story, the good and bad, of the city of Mansfield, which in itself is the county seat of Richland County in Ohio. And it has since expanded to serve neighbouring counties too. But in 2019, they borrowed an idea from Jay Rosen, a well-known professor at New York University, to stray away from horse race political coverage, who is leading and who is not, and instead gain a deeper understanding of local tensions. The Talk the Vote initiative was set up to venture into six wards of Mansfield, which in itself has six city council people running for election and two at-large candidates who represent the entire city. In each ward over six weeks, they found a venue where members of the public were free to attend roundtable-style discussions with one simple question on the agenda. What do you want to hear candidates talk about as they compete for your vote? In other words, this is your chance to tell your potential elected officials what you care about. It was a quest for nuance in local politics, but also an attempt to engage the community who might otherwise not be, with the added target of boosting voter turnout, encouraging people to attend more local meetings, or actually running for office themselves. But then, after the tour finished, they produced a citizen's agenda. And we go back to Carl to find out more about that. Uh, and we made a promise when we did that, uh, when that process was complete, we would compile that information in something called the citizen's agenda, which we did. Uh, it was a, uh, I think it was an eight or 10 page publication that we put together. Uh, we published it on our website, but more importantly, at the first Mansfield City Council meeting in January of 19, uh, 2020, uh, I took it. I took copies and I gave it to the mayor. I gave it to the law director. I gave it to a public works director, everybody on city council and said, folks, here is what your constituents said is important to them. And what do you plan to do with it? Kind of the question I want to get at is, was it successful? Here's one of those un un unfortunate things, Jacob. Um, I believe it was successful because I think it planted the seeds for doing it more and doing it deeper. Uh, we had planned to do uh, several uh, what we call solutions journalism stories based upon what people told us uh, that they would like to have happen in the city. Uh, we did the very first one of those because one of the things we heard most often from people was that Mansfield had become the Wild West of trash collection. We literally have trash haulers racing around the city at all hours of the day and night. Uh, trash is being left out too long. 
uh, trash is being spread out. And that was one of the big concerns. So the first thing we did, and I started it in January of 2020, and it took about a month to put it all together, was what do, uh, how do other cities of comparable size in Ohio handle trash? So I did some uh, uh, investigating, some calling places like Lancaster, Ohio, Springfield, Ohio, Medina, Ohio, cities of, of, of comparable size, and said, how do you folks handle your trash? And what I did then is a four-part series. I did a story that said, how did Mansfield get to become the Wild West of trash? Second part, what is the current situation with, with trash and illegal dumping, things like that? Uh, then I did a story about, you know, here's how all of these other cities handle this. Uh, and they don't seem to have the issues that we do. And then the final portion was, okay, it recapped the first three and said, what are we going to do? You know, the city, city council, mayor, what are you going to do about all of this? Unfortunately, that published in late February of 2020, uh, a week later. Yeah, we all know what happened. Yeah, came COVID-19. Uh, and suddenly uh, the whole world as we knew it kind of shut down. So I think we lost some momentum. Uh, I was more than I think. I, I know we lost momentum. Uh, later in the year, uh, as city council continued to meet remotely, uh, and I hopefully I've covered my last uh, city council meeting on Zoom. Um, <laughs> they they actually tried to take a stab at you know working around the edges of the problem uh, and regulating, uh, kind of dividing the city into sectors, which would mean you'd only have trash pickup in your neighborhood one day a week. You wouldn't have. Uh, every day of the week, trash haulers coming in. Uh, that was met with great resistance uh, by trash haulers who didn't like to be told when and how they should be doing their jobs. Uh, I was also met with a lot of resistance from some residents who came online and said, look, I love my trash people. They do a great job. Why are you messing with this? Don't you have bigger fish to fry? Uh, so that kind of went by the boards, at least that that, that particular thought. Um but like I said, the nice thing is, I think by doing that, we've planted the seed. Uh, people learned uh, a great deal. We learned a great deal. And it's given us some impetus along with a, a grant from the Solutions Journalism Network to come back and try it again this year. It's, it must be an encouraging kind of proof of concept, though, that this kind of works to use this as the basis to springboard other investigations, other stories, right, though. That's, that's kind of the silver lining here. Yeah, I, like I said, we, we learned so much uh, from the doing of this. We kind of learned what worked, what doesn't work. Uh, and the nice thing, one of the nice things we saw was not only the public receptive, but political candidates themselves who were on the ballot were receptive. Uh, a lot of them uh, attended one or more or all of these sessions. We did have one rule for the uh, candidates, though. And it was difficult for them because that rule is you can't talk. <laughs> kind of goes against their job description, that, doesn't it? Exactly. Exactly. You're more than welcome to come. You're more than welcome to listen. Uh, if you'd like to interact with residents before and after, you're welcome to do that. But during the meeting itself, uh, thou shalt not talk. Uh, this is a moment of listening, right? This is a moment of reflection, absorbing uh, what your local residents feel. Exactly. This is not you uh, giving your campaign stump speech. This is not you glad handing people at the county fair. Uh, this is you coming uh, as someone who'd like to lead 
and listening to the people who uh, who who would like to be led in a way that they prefer. What was the level of kind of attendance, engagement, participation? It depended upon uh, the location and depended upon where we were in the process. The initial meeting was probably probably had our worst attendance, and that might be because I think we started too soon. We started, I believe, in mid to late August, and people just at least uh, in our neck of the woods, the elections not till November. So they're not really thinking, uh, you know, a lot of political type stuff in August. Uh, plus, I think the first one we did, we had in a school. Very appreciative of the school letting us come in. But I don't know that a school classroom uh, is a great uh, place to have something like this. People sitting in straight back chairs and desks. And it just doesn't lend itself to kind of a, a group chat uh, atmosphere. No. What was the most well-attended event? Probably the one that we did here and the one that we did at NECIC. Uh, it helps if you have a venue that will help you get the word out to people in a particular area and not only host you, but become a partner participant uh, in in the event. I would say those two sites were probably the uh, the best attended. Yeah. Can you give me an idea of how many people that was? Uh, anywhere between 30 and 40. It, it may not sound on face value like, you know, a huge significant number of people, but it's it's almost biblical wherever one or more gather in the in in my name kind of thing. You know, we're trying to get as much as many people as possible. We'll drop the pebble in the water and we'll watch the uh, the rings expand, the waves expand. And hopefully uh, it gets bigger and bigger. What was what was the agreement with the venues to actually host these events, to actually logistically set this up? Right. You know, the only thing we asked them to do was turn the lights on, uh, have places for people to sit. Uh, and anything beyond that that you'd like to do, we're grateful. Uh, you don't have to do any more than that. Uh, basically, just let us come and sit in your place. Now, there was one venue where we did pay a small rental fee. And we're willing to do that, obviously. It's going to be even easier this year with the, with the grant from the Solutions Journalism people. If we have to rent uh, more spaces, we can do that. But, you know, that's that's such a small part of it. The whole thing is open the doors wide, let us in, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of take care of the rest. What are, what are the perfect venues to host um, the event at, you think? Uh, well lit, uh, comfortable temperature, uh, comfortable chairs. Uh, some place where you can arrange chairs in a circle. If if you've got it where you're standing in the front of the room and people are sitting in rows, you know they're not looking at each other. They're looking at me, which is uh, in itself a painful experience. But I would rather everyone sit in a relaxed circle. This will sound redundant, but again, it's it's just anything that you can do that helps generate conversation. When you go to your uh, family reunion. Uh, what do people do? They sit around and face each other and they talk. Uh, and just like at a family reunion, there may be differences of opinion and disagreements. But when you're sitting looking at somebody, it's harder to uh, uh, get angry mm. because, you know, the, you're looking somebody in the eye and you're having this, you know, this group experience together. Back in 2019, Carl was the one moderating the discussion at the event, while his community engagement editor, Brittany Shock was taking rapid notes throughout. This time around, Richland Source is considering outsourcing the moderating role to a member of the community, but says this needs to be someone who can be neutral and impartial in the discussion. 
When it comes to steering conversation, Carl shares some words of wisdom on what to pay attention to. I will not and will never take a side on an issue. If you've got an issue that concerns you and you've got an opinion about it, feel free to express it. This is a warm and safe place. Nobody here is going to argue with you. Yeah. So as as the moderator, I wanted to encourage, you know, open discussion. Uh, one of the things we learned is you have to be careful. There may be an instance where someone has a real uh, axe to grind or maybe a topic that's really important to them. And they came there intent on dominating the conversation. So as the moderator, you just have to politely and firmly uh, say thank you. I appreciate your input. Uh, Who else has something they'd like to talk about? Who else has a thought on this particular idea? And, you know, you can't be rude, but at the same time, you simply can't allow one person uh, to kind of dominate a meeting, which is designed for maximum public participation. And And you had that a few times, did you? One or two times. I know we had it at least once, which was a significant issue. After that, I, you know, we learned some things about how to steer the conversation, and it really wasn't an issue after that. Uh, the funny thing is, when you first start one of these meetings, uh, it's like it, it's almost like a grade school dance. Nobody wants to be first to get up and, and, and dance. You know, you're always waiting for somebody else to do that. I love. That. So what we had to do is get somebody to get started. And it was, it never failed. Once we broke the ice, uh, almost everybody had something to say then. But getting that first person to dance is uh, is is always the key. Did the pizza help? Pizza never hurts. Uh, when we had it here, we also offered soft drinks. Uh, when we did it at the uh, uh, NECIC, which is a North End uh, community cooperative here in town, uh, they had uh, uh, election cupcakes. We're looking to do more of that. I think the more you can get people to relax with food and beverages, and as long as everything within moderation, the more we can get people to talk, the more ideas we can get them to express, the more well-rounded the conversation and the more complete our uh, citizens' agenda will be. Yeah. On a serious note, though, were there any safety concerns about putting your you know, reporters in the public domain like this? No, we don't live in a, in a community where that uh, was even a thought. People who understand us, understand our brand, understand, you know, we're about solutions. We're not about dividing. We're about, you know, what what can bring us together. There was never a cross moment uh, at, at any of these sessions. And I, I don't think we anticipate them in 2021 as well. I mean, these are these are folks, anybody who would take time out of their day or evening to come to something like this, uh, in our community, I think they've got the community's best interests at heart. I don't think anybody's going to come because they have a an interest in uh, raising a ruckus. No. But it was it was free to attend, right? Any member of the public could come. Any member of the public could come. Uh, you didn't have to live. As, let's say you lived in the third ward. And the night of our third ward meeting, you were out of town. Come to the fourth ward meeting. Come to the fifth ward meeting. Uh, politicians, you might be a fourth ward candidate but you're more than welcome to come to any and all of them. And we had several candidates, uh, ward candidates, who did come to all of them because they wanted to hear what what people had to say. They kind of make it as accessible as possible, I guess, is the takeaway. Exactly. You want to have as few barriers as possible. Uh, you know, if you're trying mm-hmm. to grow engagement, don't uh, don't put doorways in the path of that. Super. Let's talk a little bit about the citizens' agenda because this is a super interesting part of the initiative as well. Um, that was that was free for 
um, any member of the public to, to go and check out afterwards, right? Right. Our, our website, uh, just in general, is free. It's been free since we were founded and will always be free. It doesn't cost. We don't charge people to come come to our website. We are a free site. Um, we, we do have memberships. We encourage people to become members, but you don't have to. Uh, when you become a member, you're basically saying, I choose to support independent online local journalism. But the thing about the Citizens Agenda, once we put it together, we put it on the website. If you can access Richland Source, you can go on there right now, put Citizens Agenda in the search bar, and it's it will be there forever. But the other thing we did is we printed it out, and we took it to council and said, here you go, folks. Even if you didn't want to talk about it, even if you didn't come to our website, uh, here it is. And we handed out copies, and uh, I think they were receptive for the most part. Again, and right up until COVID hit, and then everything kind of kind of stopped. But you know, initially, did you see that readers, you know, took to it and were were engaging with it? Yeah, I think you know, one of the we always pay attention to what people are paying attention to on the website. I don't have any hard fast numbers in front of me, but I can tell you that uh, it was downloaded, it was examined. Uh, I'm grateful uh, for the people whose comments helped form that agenda. And I'm grateful that I work in a community where the people who uh, are elected officials uh, also take time to look at it. It strikes me this is also a great exercise in accountability, because if a politician pledges that they've listened to their local residents and they're going to actually deliver on those, they ultimately don't. You can pull that up and say, well, you know, where do, where do we stand on this? Have you have you delivered, right? Yeah, one of our plans uh, as the year went along in 2020 was to do just that, uh, you know, make a list of five or six things that were most important. And as the year went along, and especially as we got near to the end of the year, is kind of do an update. Where are we with this? Uh, which we will do next year, uh, assuming there's not some uh, horrible illness chasing us all. But the idea being that accountability is is, is a huge part of this. Right, right. Um, one thing I just noted throughout this conversation, we've spoken a lot about basically free content for audiences, right? These events are free for audiences. The material you produce on the back of it is free. Are you thinking about other ways to make this sustainable other than grant funding? Or, or do you see that as, do you see that as the main way to, to fund this? There's, there's a couple of, a uh, couple of things that we're blessed with. One is, uh, we have a group called Newsroom Partners. Uh, these are businesses, organizations uh, here in town that support us with their money. Uh, if you go on our website and you look, there is a large number of what we call newsroom partners. And basically, they help fund the very things that we're doing already. We can't thank them enough. Uh, you know, it's, we're talking tens of thousands, hundreds, you know, more than $100,000 uh, this year. Um, and we also have partners. These are people who join us as members. Uh, they put their money. It could be as little as $5 a month, or it could be more, depending upon the, the, the amount of support they'd like to provide. Those are the things that drive us. And, you know, we did this project in 2019 without any kind of grant funding. And, you know, frankly, we would do it again uh, if we didn't, even if we didn't have grant funding. Uh, this is something that we believe uh, is so important to the community. Uh, it's so on brand for what Richland Source stands for. We simply refuse to to cover politics and elections the same way that kind of it's always been done. Yeah, and in terms of just like spreading the word, marketing these um, these these events, how do you go about doing that? What will be your approach? 
Well, our primary approach will be we're going to do stories, uh, news stories on our on our websites. We're going to have uh, we're we're fortunate here at the at, at Bridgestone Source that we do have as part of our team we have our own uh, Source Brand Solutions, which is a marketing arm. Uh, they do great work with uh, various companies and businesses and organizations within the community, and they're really smart people. And they will help us come up with ideas for how to market this. Just a question on that. Is that like a direct one-on-one sort of uh, B2B communications type platform? Yes. Well, and and they are, like I said, uh, they are part of us. I literally walk five feet from my desk and they're source brand solutions. Right. They're sitting here and idea works and they will help us uh, to uh, promote and, and, and market this. And we are looking at whether it makes sense to consider radio uh, advertising, whether it's, you know, uh, I don't know that we'll go billboards, but certainly that's a possibility. Anything we can to try to get the word out there to let people know these these things are, are, are about to happen and that we very much would love their participation. So with election season approaching in early November, what exactly is different this time around? They are starting later, in mid-September, giving them just shy of a two-month window to market the event. Events are happening on Monday evenings, 6 to 7pm in the evening to be exact, with the option to stick around if the conversation is healthy and lively. It is being expanded to have at least one meeting in Knox County and Ashland County, which they also did not have in 2019. Besides finding more suitable venues and the prospect of an outsourced moderator, obviously the big difference this time around is COVID-19. In Ohio, there is no official mask mandate from the governor, but the Centre for Disease Control and Richland Public Health is encouraging masks to be worn in venues. As such, they are planning to set up an online option on Crowdcast or Facebook Live, but the strong preference remains to do these events in a safe venue. In late October, they're also planning to invite the eight city councillors on the ballot to come into IdeaWorks, where Richland Source is based, where they'll also invite their members first, and then members of the public afterwards to come for a meet and greet, if you will. But I'll let Carl tell you more about the details there. Right, and what we want to do is invite these folks to come in and let's say it's the two candidates for the first ward. Uh, have them sit up front with me. Uh, we'll give them a microphone. And I'm fortunate that I've been covering city council here for a while. I, I know some of the issues. And we'll just have a chat. You know, I don't want, okay, you've got one minute to make an opening statement and 30 seconds for, no, no, that, let that happen, you know, with presidential candidates. These are local people who want to help lead a city. Let's just have a chat. You know, that, that that's far more important to me. For someone, you know, thinking about replicating this elsewhere, maybe in the US or maybe abroad here in the UK, what do you think those people need to know? Again, we were blessed before we started this and that we have built kind of a reputation and a brand and we are seen as someone who is trusted. Uh, if you are not uh, trusted or well-trusted in your community, uh, I would work on that first. You know, before you try to uh, engage the community in something like this, uh, spend some time and spend some effort doing the kinds of things that brings the uh, community into a partnership with you. You know, before we ever did this, we had five or six years of, you know, building within the community. Uh, people, we did a survey uh, 
back in January of 2020, again, before COVID hits, but it's something between 82 and 85% of the people who took that survey said they very much trust Richland Source. And as someone who's been involved in the journalism business for 42 years, uh, that's an amazing number. It's well over average, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Just a little bit. But I, you know, having that trust is probably step one. Uh, once you've got that trust uh, established and people know who you are and they trust you and what you're doing, uh, plan it out. I mean, th- sit down and figure out what you want to do. Maybe you don't want to do six or seven or eight meetings uh, uh, or discussions. Maybe you start off with a couple. Maybe you depend upon the size of, of your community and the area that you're trying to address. I think from a personal standpoint, it's better to aim small and hit small than it is to aim big and miss. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, it, basically, I, I guess what I'm trying to say there is, look, you know, aim at what you can do. Don't try to come up with a big, grandiose plan that you really might not meet. Because if you don't meet it, then, you know, you've got uh, expectations that people have for you that you've not met. And maybe this wonderful, positive thing you're trying to do comes off as something less. You know, it, it goes back to the old uh, advertising message, which is, you know, uh, under promise and over deliver. Super. What is actually the, the, the end game here for you? The grant that we originally that, that we have that we're using this year was originally uh, to help boost uh, voter participation. Unfortunately, uh, the year that we got the grant for was in was in uh, began in 2020. And obviously, uh, voter participation during a COVID year was something that's going to be hard to do driving that. Uh, so much, so much was changed. But yeah, the the idea is we want to engage people uh, in the process and thereby get them to engage in the process, whether that's by making sure they vote. You know, one of the things we're going to do, and I should have mentioned this earlier, uh, our friends from the Richland County Board of Elections. They will bring uh, a voting machine to each of these talk to vote sessions, and they will demonstrate to the folks who attend how to use it. Uh, it's not a complicated machine, but it looks like a giant iPad. And if you have some older folks who maybe aren't familiar with that kind of technology, it gives them an opportunity in a very relaxed setting to learn how, you know, how does this voting machine work? And so we have good partnerships with the local board of elections along those lines. But the more we engage with people and the more we uh, have them engage with us, the greater the response. And I, I really do think that translates not only into greater voter participation, but just in citizen engagement in their community. Thinking about having that goal, which way do you approach it? Do you approach bottom up? So thinking about the steps to reach that goal or working back downwards, having the goal and seeing which how that eventually funnels down strategically. How do you see that? I think, I think you have to have the goal first. Uh, in our case, it's to promote community engagement, increase voter participation, uh, continue to build a partnership with the community. There are so many different things we do here uh, aside from this. You know, one of the things that we, in fact, it was just last Friday night, we do something called Music After Hours, where we bring live bands uh, into our newsroom, into IdeaWorks, and we do free uh, free concerts. Uh, Friday night, we had three different musicians who came in and played. We have food. We have beer. Uh, it's free. 
come in, have a seat, enjoy the music. I mean, again, that's just part of us engaging uh, with with the community. Those are things that we want to, you know, c- come do journalism with us. You know, this is not about us doing journalism for you. This is about us doing journalism with you. And the more things we can do to kind of uh, establish those kind of ties with everybody in the community, from the older folks to all the way down to the to, to the younger people, you know, it's it's all part of the same plan. Carl, one of my favorite bands is actually from Ohio. I wonder if they've ever played at your venue. They're called Beartooth. They're from Ohio. Beartooth. What, what, you know what? What part of Ohio? Columbus, Ohio. All right. You know what? I, I, I don't know. On Friday nights, I'm... See, see if you can book them. Oh, I'll be well, there. Well, you know what? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to speak with Zach Heiser. He's, he's the gentleman in charge of this. He actually works in Source Brand Solutions. But I'll look and see if he can get Beartooth uh, on the schedule. They're, they're a bit loud, so fair warning. Well, we have a couple of bands coming next week. Um, something like something like bone saw or something like that. So I think, you know, loud, loud is not a problem. I mean, if well, I'm just saying expect mosh pits as all. <laughs> well, you know what, if, 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 if having a mosh pit makes you, uh, you know, hang out with us at Richland source and idea works, come mosh away. Carl, what would you say is your top skill that has fared you well in your career? Uh, Curiosity. Curiosity. I get that one a lot. Yeah. I, I like to know how and why things work. Uh, so I don't think you can be a journalist and not have a good natural curiosity. There's, there's, if you don't have that, then that, I'm, I'm not sure what else, what else you can do. Can you teach or acquire that skill? You know, I, I don't know if you can, I I'd like to think you can. I, you know, I was an old print newspaper editor for a lot of years. Um, but it's one of those things where you can develop it, you can help someone develop it, but I don't know if you can instill it. But fortunately, in you know the 40 years plus I've been doing this, I've never come across a good reporter who doesn't have that kind of curiosity. You know, assuming you do have the foundation there, how do you get better at being curious, if that makes sense? If you have a reporter who is at least curious about something, encourage them to report on that something. You know, if you have a reporter and the only thing they're interested in writing about is the local music scene, well, don't stick them on city council meetings because they don't care about that yet. You know, this is say it's a young person right out of college and they are really into local music. Well, let them take that curiosity and that interest and go do it. Let them blow it, you know, blow it out of the water. Just, you know, knock yourself out. Because once they see the process and they see the reaction, then I think you start planting seeds for, you know what, maybe I can report on something else as well. But don't force them, you know, don't pound the square peg into the round hole. It might eventually be pounded in, but it's pretty soon going to be broken. So find out what they're interested in and let them be curious about that. Carl, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for your time and insights coming on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Jacob, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for caring about what we do at, at, at Richland Source. And uh, I look forward to you booking Bear, Beartooth at your, at your venue soon. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, as soon as we get done here, I'm going to send Zach Heiser an email and say, hey, what about Beartooth? Really interesting conversation with Cole there, and I think lots to take away from this one. If you want to set something like this up in your local area, I'd say the key ingredients are an existing foundation of trust with your community, number one, 
a bunch of venues which are set up for roundtable discussions, so avoid lecture halls. Budget for food and drinks, that always helps. A good sense of timing, but also the humility to do it. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Final word from me, if you like what you heard today, tune back in next week for episode two of this series where we'll hear from the Seattle Times on how crowdfunding and philanthropy is keeping their newsroom staffed and their investigations ongoing through a period of uncertainty. You know, we had had great success in the philanthropic world with corporate entities and community foundations or family foundations. Um, we had not really gone to grassroots fundraising in the ways that others have successfully done. Um, so the investigative journalism fund was meant to do that, to empower us to tap individual donors and philanthropists to contribute to our journalism in a little bit different way. So it has been quite successful. 